Welcome to John Longwell Media. Creative multimedia, including music, inspirational messages, and audio prose. Today's message is entitled, Who Are We Kidding? Recorded on March 3rd, 2018, at Revive Church in Rio Rancho, New Mexico, where John serves as one of the teaching pastors. I pray you will be blessed by the message as you listen. Here now is John Longwell. Well, um, before I begin our message today and share our title, um, I do have some heavy news. Um, Found out this morning that our pastor is in jail. He sent me a letter that I'm going to be reading to you. Um, Our message title today is, Who Are We Kidding? And of course, I'm kidding you. Our pastor's not in jail. But I share that to set a tone. We're going to be looking at the book of 2 Timothy today. And it's actually written by a pastor who was in jail, and he's writing it to his servant, Timothy. And Paul has known Timothy ever since he was a young child in the very introduction of chapter 1, 2 Timothy. He talks about, he said, I knew you from when you were a young boy. I knew your grandmother. I knew your mother. I saw you grow in the grace and truth of the Lord. And so for Timothy to have this person that he's known ever since he was a young person, and then to find out that he was in jail, of course that would give him a great sense of heaviness. I know that if it were true that our pastor was in jail, we'd be coming in today with a, with a heavy heart. All of us here might be wondering, well, what did he do that put him in jail? Is he involved in criminal activity? It might even cause us to question his character. And so I want us to understand the actual circumstances that are going on because of the books of the Bible, 2 Timothy really does come across like a letter. A lot of the other books that you read, it's very instructional, it's very edifying, but this one really does come across as a letter. Even in some of the, as he ends, he says, and bring this, I have a cloak that I left here, if you could bring that in above all, please bring the parchments. So he's giving some very tangible, practical instructions. And so as we receive the word today, I want us to kind of step into the the church at Ephesus that Timothy is pastoring and kind of get a sense as we get into to the book of 2 Timothy of what that must have been like to receive the words that Paul wrote to him. So Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to share your word today. We pray, Father God, I just pray that I would just get out of the way that your Holy Spirit would have freedom to come and, and minister to our hearts and apply your word as you would so choose to do. Lord God, we thank you for these things. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. So this is a real letter about difficult circumstances. And actually, Paul's message to Timothy is to stay strong, to guard the gospel, and to carry it to the next generation. Because you see, Timothy was facing some pretty big challenges. He was facing persecution on the outside because of the the Roman government, which was under Nero now, and they were persecuting the Christians. But he was also facing a lot of pressures inside of the church because false teachers were raising up and they were, they were beginning to challenge the doctrine that was being preached. And we've got to understand, this is only 66 AD. So this isn't even 100 years after Jesus was on the earth. And the gospel that has been carried forth by Peter and Paul and all of the disciples is now already starting to get watered down and it's starting to get challenged. And so Timothy here, he's, he's, at, he's preaching and he's pastoring at the church of Ephesus. And so he receives this letter from Paul. So we too face challenges both inside and outside of the church. And that's kind of what we're going to be talking about today. Now, last week, 
Pastor Sean talked about the role of the pastor within the church. And that was a, that was a fairly heavy message um, for him to give because it's not easy standing up here and going, okay, guys, here's my responsibility to you, and here's how it might look if I was to interact with you in a way that I might have to bring correction. Now, today we're going to be looking at the role of the worker in the church, which is us. So as we felt, as we face the challenges both inside and outside of the church, I think it's time that we expose a lie that we tell ourselves and that we often tell others. And it can be summed up in the scripture, 2 Timothy 3.5, which says this, having the form having the form and appearance of godliness, but denying its power. I used to own a 67 Camaro, and ever since I bought it, I always had mechanical problems with the engine. And I finally got to the point when I was working with my mechanic, and I said, you know, I have this 2006 Honda Civic. Why don't we just put the Civic engine in the Camaro? I go, it's got electronic fuel injection. It'll get great gas mileage. And when the hood is down, no one will know what's inside. Well, after my mechanic hit me upside of the head and said, no, we're not going to put a Civic engine into a 67 Camaro, he proceeded to tell me, he said, you may not care what's inside, but I care what's inside. And like my mechanic, God also cares what's inside. And so it's important for us to remember that God wants us to not just have the appearance of godliness, but he wants us to have the power as well. In 2 Timothy 1.6, it says, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. So this is basically Paul telling Timothy to look back at a time. He said, you know what? As you were growing in the grace and the goodness of the Lord Jesus Christ, your giftings began to, to come out. And once I saw those giftings, I made sure that I prayed over you. I put my hands on you and I said, Lord God, allow these gifts to come to their full fruition. And now, Timothy, as we all get in a certain place in our walk, we kind of go, well, I don't really know if this is something I want to continue doing. Paul is taking him back to that bookmarked place in his past. And he's saying, you know what? I want you to remember the goodness and the strength that you felt during that time because the reality of what you felt during that season is still the reality today, even though you may not feel that same way. When things get tough, it's easier to look good than to actually be good. When we deceive others for too long, we often deceive ourselves as well. We then also redefine righteousness according to our warped ideas. And we might say that we redefine righteousness in this way. As long as I look good outside and nobody knows about the stuff inside, it's all good. But what if a doctor that was treating cancer decided to take that same approach? Well, what it would look like is this, is they would probably sign all of their patients up for a makeover day so that for the next couple of months they looked absolutely fabulous, but they're not receiving any cancer treatments. And so after maybe two or three months, the symptoms of their cancer are going to begin to show through because with that kind of an aggressive disease, even though it's hidden by our skin on the inside, eventually it's going to come through on the outside. In 2 Timothy 3, verses 8 and 9, he said, Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, 
So these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Now, Janus and Jambres, who in the world are these two guys? This is actually the only place in Scripture that is recorded using their names. But Jewish tradition if, um, explains that Janus and Jambres were the chief magicians under Pharaoh when Moses and Aaron were going to um, ask for the Jewish people to be released. And so when Aaron threw down his staff and it became a snake, the two magicians also threw down their staffs, but Aaron's staff ate both of their staffs. So we see that they're, they're basically involved in dark arts and witchcraft and demonic activity because they're able to duplicate some of these miracles. In fact, they were even able to du duplicate two of the plagues. They created water into blood, and they also created some of the frogs. And Jewish tradition also says that they even accompanied the Jews when they left, um, when they exodused from Egypt. And so they were there when Aaron created the golden calf, and they were encouraging everybody, oh yeah, let's worship this, let's worship this. So even though they had this appearance of authority, their influence over Israel was nothing but wicked. Paul warned about false teachers in the church, and he gave us two words, avoid them. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1-5, through he says, and he's speaking to Timothy once again in this letter to him. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. Amen? <laughs> For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, un unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. It would almost be as though we took a decaying body and then we threw a bunch of gross, whatever gross bug that grosses you out, and we put it on a bed, and then we just covered it over with a beautiful quilt. It looks so good on the outside, but once you pull back the covers, you see the real truth of the decaying reality that is there. We are toy, we are, so we are finally given a solution. Avoid these people. But who are they? Don't look around. <laughs> Let's ask a different question. What is your nemesis? My, my, my stepdaughter just learned the word nemesis, so I thought I would put it into the sermon. Now, a nemesis is something that opposes you which, you, which you struggle with, or that by which you are challenged. Are you a, even able to identify what your nemesis is? Well, I'm going to go ahead and share mine. So my struggle is being compassionate with other people. Um, I often find myself having a very callous heart. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit that because years ago, I remember I, when I was going to Bible college, I lived in Los Angeles, and I would often drive through the parts of, of, of Los Angeles that was basically 
ghetto row, skid row. That's kind of where they get that name. And it was nothing but just homeless people on either side. And they, they literally, that's where they resided. They had their little boxes and their little tents. And that was the, the neighborhood on which they lived. And I remember going by, sometimes I worked at, um, at a UPS, which was the oldest UPS hub in Los Angeles. It was like downtown, downtown Los Angeles. My car was broken into so many times, I just finally left the windows down because it cost me more <laughs> to replace the glass in my window. And they had already stolen everything anyway. The stereo was gone. And so I was like, if you guys want to sit it, sit in it, whatever. So I would actually go to work sometimes a little bit early so I could go and, and hand out water and food and stuff. Because, you know, it just... You're, you're so young, and, and I come from the Midwest, and I don't think there was any homeless people in the Midwest. It's so cold anyway. But to be faced with that reality was very stark, and it always touched my heart. But today, the degree of the, the issue that I struggle with in, in lacking compassion has actually changed the way that I live my life. I used to love to go to the movies, but now I won't spend my money or invest my time to go to the movies because people are so rude. I've been to the movies and it's like, even though they put on all the things on the screen, please turn off your cell phones and all this stuff, there's always three little lights of somebody sitting in front of you looking at their cell phone. There was one guy who even took a call during the middle of the movie and talked for 20 minutes while everybody around him is like, get off the phone, go to the other room. And people are so ready for a confrontation, they're just, they're just egging you on to say something. You know, and then they're ready for a, for a, a really ugly response in return. And, and, I, and I found myself, why would I spend $40 to go confront someone? You know, it's like, it just gets to the point where you don't even want to do that. But then also I found that it also geared me so that every time I met someone new, I'm, I'm ready for this negative experience. And I didn't, I don't like that it's doing that to me. But even as I share that, you might be nodding to yourself and go, yeah, you're kind of justified in thinking that way. You know, in order to get respect, you have to give respect. But you know what? That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says that, that Jesus saw us in our worst, dirtiest, ugliest place. He loved us and he saved us. He didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. He didn't wait for us to become some definition of righteous before we could then go to him. And that's the heart that we're supposed to have for everybody around us, whether they have slapped us in the face seven times or 70 times, seven times. And yet that's a difficult place to do, especially in the world in which we live. We read all of the things. And I just, as we were reading those different things, I was like, man, brutal, unappeasable, heartless. This sounds like the world in which we live, doesn't it? So, we are also instructed to avoid quarrels in church. 2 Timothy 2, 23 and 24 says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil. 2 Timothy 2, 14 through 17 says, Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth, but avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. And if you don't know what that word gangrene, it's basically rotting flesh 
that just breeds more rotting flesh. Quarreling is to be avoided, and it's not because we're afraid to have the hard and difficult topics of conversation. But you see, a quarrel is not a conversation. Quarreling leads to ungodliness. A discussion transitions to a quarrel when one or both participants disregards the well-being of the other in favor of their own point of view. You, you may have seen, you may have had a home or a house where there's bickering. Maybe it's the parents, maybe it's the kids, maybe it's the parents with the kids. But after a while, that, those, that quarrelsome nature actually changes the entire atmosphere of the house. And it, it establishes like this rumbling of tension. Um, I grew up in an alcoholic home. And every Friday night, my sister and I called it the Friday night fights. Because mom and dad would come home, and dad would be downstairs, and mom would be upstairs. And we never understood why. My mom would sometimes just go down and just egg my dad on, and then everything would blow up. We're like, what in the world? It was quiet. Why did she go downstairs? We couldn't understand it. But that was just the nature of of that kind of a household. And so, honestly... I was always amazed when I would spend the night at other friends' houses and I was like, wow, it's like so peaceful here. It's so quiet. And wow, and your dad was up in the morning and he made us breakfast? This is so cool. It was so, it was just really awesome. (laughs) We are to avoid false teachers and quarrels, but we're not to pretend that they don't exist. Self-deception existed even in Jesus' day. In John chapter 12, verses 42 and 43, um, it says, this is talking about Jesus. Nevertheless, many even of the authorities believed in him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You see, it's useless to believe in the truth if you choose not to live according to it. We want man's acceptance But we forget that we're ultimately accountable to God. The people that are right around us that we think that we have to please, they seem so important right now. But they're not even going to be an issue when we stand before God. And that's how we should be living our lives right now. So the title of my sermon today is, Who Are We Really Kidding? And I'll share it in this way. We snapshot our lives We edit them, we crop them, we filter them, and then we post them for all to see. And yet it's one tiny little corner. I I like to liken it to, it's like taking a picture of the hood ornament of a car while the rest of the vehicle is all rusted out and there's no engine or seats or anything else. Um, There's actually a new medical condition connected with poor body image where people are surgically altering themselves to look like their adjusted Instagram image. Can you imagine that? We share only the part we want the world to see, but guess what? God sees everything. Hebrews 4.13. He says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. But don't fear, because God can help us. But not until we acknowledge our true condition. When we choose business as usual, you know, that redefined image of righteousness, we're simply opting for a makeover when we should be seeking cancer treatment. 
There's a medical technique where a wound is left open after surgery because closing the wound could actually result in a worsening infection. So think of it this way. If somebody cut me open here and I had a certain wound, but they knew that there was a great, like a sepsis or an infection inside, what they would do is instead of sewing me up, they would cover this area, this big open area, with a moist, sterile dressing so that over the healing process, while I'm still in the hospital, they would peel it back and they would just kind of observe it to make sure that it is healing properly. Well, of course, as you can guess, this would be a little bit alarming. If guests came by, you could say, hey, look at my insides. Um, and it's also a very vulnerable situation. When, when I first read about that, I thought about that, um, that old episode of Seinfeld where Kramer's up in the gallery of this surgery, and he has, I think it was a jujubee, or I don't know what else, but it went flying inside of the person. <laughs> and the doctor was amazed because the infection went away and they accounted it to this jujubee or whatever it was. So I'm sure that's a one-off thing, and we probably shouldn't be putting you know, candy within our insides. But one of the things that I want to share from this is that we may be reluctant to ask God in because we fear of being open and vulnerable. But Psalm 119.50 says, This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Psalm 76.26 says, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. We're going to take communion today. So if I could go ahead and have the folks that are going to be doing communion pass out the elements. As we end today... I would like us to ask God to speak to our heart, to reveal his plan. And I'd, I'd like us to be open because we may have been deceiving ourselves and not even knowing it. And I say that because deception is just that. It's just, it's deceiving. It, deception begins by a simple decision that we make where we go ahead and we accept something that might simply start out as, well, maybe just a little bit of a gray area. Maybe it's just questionable whether that was the right decision or the wrong decision. But then what happens is we make that accommodation and we make that compromise for that specific thing. And then we actually green light that direction and that course and that path in which we walk. And so precedence is actually a legal term. And basically what it means is, is if, if, a, if a court, if someone's bringing a lawsuit and they can get a judgment on a specific thing, whether or not the law is in, has been interpreted in that way before, if they can get a judgment or a ruling in their favor on that specific thing, then future lawsuits can use that very decision as a precedent. And when it comes to the way that we live our lives in this world, it's all, about, it's all about legalities. It's all about the power that God has given the enemy and the enemy knows to the very dot and um, as they say, the dot and tittle of the law. He knows exactly what it is that he's... You can go ahead and put it there. Thank you. He knows exactly what it is. He knows how far he can push the law and then what he relies on is for us to create a precedent within our own lives. And so when we begin to make these little tiny compromises, these little tiny exceptions to the way that we would normally live our lives, then the enemy uses that against us for the next time in something that would even be a little bit more grave. He, he will go, well, you know, the last time you were okay with that, so this is pretty much in the same vein of what you had done. 
And so we begin to plot this course until we know it, you know, and, and all the while we're telling the world, hey, everything looks good. I'm good. It's all good. We deceive everyone else for so long that over time we begin to deceive ourselves and we begin to think as they, have you heard the term the new normal? The new normal becomes your normal. But we know that we're to only look, this is the only normal. The rest of the world is abnormal. This is the only thing that we, that we judge by. And that's why Paul was so um, em, em, emphatic with Timothy. He says, guard the gospel. This is the real deal right here. When the counterfeits show their face, when the false teachers show their face, guess what? You're going to know exactly what it looks like because you have the real deal right here. So don't blur those lines. So I'm going to ask you this morning to be open for the Holy Spirit to speak to you, maybe about a behavior, maybe about an area that you've been a little bit stubborn with in your walk, to just allow the Lord to, to shine his light in there for you to be adjusted in a way that may be able to bring you freedom that you've not yet experienced. The second thing is, is if God has already been speaking to you, then let him minister to you and encourage you. You guys can go ahead and start playing. And finally, and here's the last one, maybe he's asking you to speak to a brother or to a sister. Now, our role as workers in the body of the Christ is in, as in the body of Christ and in the church is this. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 2 says, Preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Maybe you've seen a brother or sister and you kind of know that something isn't quite right in the way that they've lived their lives. But what do most of it do? We just kind of go, well, just God bless you and I'm going to pray for you. Well, maybe that's not enough. Maybe that's not what God is calling us to do as the church. Maybe he's calling us to be that crossroad for that person. And this is the heart in which we do that. We reprove, we rebuke, and we exhort with complete patience and teaching. It doesn't mean that we get in their face and we yell at them. We approach them as a teacher would a student. If a student is struggling with math, the teacher doesn't yell at the student because they don't know how to add two plus two. What they do is they sit down with them and they break it down and they help them through the rudiments. So this, this is really cool. I was playing Yahtzee with my stepdaughter the other night. And at the end, you have to add up all of your stuff. And I'm, I'm the guy that was, wants to always help them. So um, I said, do you need some help? She goes, no, let me try it. So I had already added it up and she adds it up. She goes, 56? And I was like, that's it. And this was like, she wasn't even, she was just doing it. I was, I was so blessed because I'm like, I've seen this girl who couldn't even read and now she's adding a Yahtzee column. It was really cool. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of excitement we're supposed to have when we teach and we admonish one another. It's in love. And the second one is 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. And he says, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. Now, none of us wants to be corrected or to do the correcting. Hebrews 12, 11 says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness 
to those who have been trained by it. So the end result is we want to grow. Don't we all want to grow in the Lord? Aren't you tired of being stagnant? Sometimes you get to that place and you're like, man, am I ever going to grow beyond this? Here's the thing. We grow when we are challenged. And maybe we're to be that challenging voice for one another. I've been corrected in the past and I've corrected other people. And it's not easy and it's not fun. But if you do it in a loving way, if you do it in the way that it says here, correcting your opponent with gentleness you will gain a deeper relationship with that person than you've ever known. And sometimes it will just help you break through that superficial surface layer of relating when you just sit down with them and go, is there something I can pray with you about? Don't even ask them conclusive questions. Just say, I've noticed some things in your life. Is is there anything that I can pray with you about? Allow them to open up and share what it is. And it will be amazing the kinds of things that we will be able to do to enrich and strengthen the relationships within the body that God has given us. So as I conclude, Paul knew Timothy was struggling to endure, and God knows our struggles too. Fortunately, our pastor is not in jail, correct? Okay, he's not in jail, praise God. God wants us to not only endure the issues that we face, but he wants us to overcome them. Romans 8.37 says this, No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to hear your word, to learn a little bit about what our role is as a worker. We thank you for the body of Christ, Father God. We thank you that we have a place to come to escape the world and all of its brutality and insincerity and arrogance and pride to where we can come in, we can, we can establish an environment of gentleness and peace and kindness, just a place to grow and to be able to have the peaceable fruits of righteousness that come from being disciplined by you. Father God, you are a good father. We thank you and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you've enjoyed this inspirational message. Please email questions, comments, and booking information for John to mail at johnlongwell.com to see the full range of creative works, including books, inspirational messages, music, art, and web development content. Please log on to www.johnlongwell.com. Thank you for listening, and may God's blessings be yours in abundance.